This is episode 153 of the Beyond the Food Show. And today we're going to talk about food addiction and the solutions. This is going to get controversial. Stay tuned. My name is Stephanie Dodier, clinical nutritionist. I reversed my diagnosis of anxiety, depression, adrenal fatigue, and obesity by going beyond the food. I can tell you one thing, that willpower, discipline, and deprivation aren't the permanent solution to transforming your relationship to food. So how do you leave overeating, emotional eating, food craving, and binging behind you so you have the food freedom to achieve all of your goal and be happy now? As a top 25 alternative health podcast in the world, this is the Beyond the Food Show. This is a great moment. I wouldn't be any happier right now if I was skinnier, if my body looked different. It's truly been a beautiful process. This has been life-changing, and I am really grateful that I didn't wait another year. If you think that you're going to come into this and lose 20 pounds and eat perfectly for the rest of your life, then it's the wrong thing. But if you think you're going to come into this and have a life-changing experience, then it's worth every penny and more. The Going Beyond the Food Academy is the result of a lifelong journey in searching for my solution. All along, the solution was right there in front of me. And it's also right there for you, inside of you. You just want to eat normally, have a normal body, perhaps weigh less. You're looking for the solution to eat less, stop overeating, perhaps binging, maybe stop the endless desire to eat what is forbidden, the sugar craving, and you keep searching, searching for the answer as to why your body doesn't want to collaborate with you. And you've tried it all. Willpower, discipline, mental strength, over-exercising, all the diet, while shaming yourself and your body in hope that it would give you what you so desperately desire. What I desired the most, I thought, was weight loss. But really, what I wanted was to fit in, to be accepted, to be loved, to be happy unconditionally. What I didn't realize during the 25 years of dieting was that suffering was not necessary. That the answer was right there inside of me. But I refused to see it and accept it because it didn't fit with what I was told the solution was. The Going to Beyond the Food Academy is a 14-week journey towards creating and discovering your own solution. Think of it as the university-level course that will teach you what you need to know to finally get what you desire the most. The Going Beyond the Food Academy is a lifetime program that will show you what you need to heal why you eat because that's the real issue and will teach you a new way of engaging with food from a place of intuition resulting in a brand new way of how to eat. The outcome of the Going Beyond the Food Academy is what you eat becomes normal, easy and simple. Ditching dieting and becoming a normal eater. So if you're ready to step into a new version of yourself, be empowered by me as your teacher in our amazing community to make the change you know you need to make. 
head over to stephaniedolze.com slash academy right now. So the academy has helped me figure out, like you said, feel it, don't fight it. Actually know that if I feel my feelings, I'm going to survive. It's going to be okay. I can sit with those and nothing bad is going to happen to me. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, ladies. This is Stephanie Dodier and controversy it is again today. Yep, we're going to shake things up. And the reason why I say controversy is A, because it does create controversy. But two, controversy pushes people to act. It forces people to think differently. So one of the most recent episodes of the podcast, 150, was about people pleaser. And that was a lot of drama because people got offended by the fact that I said people pleaser are liars. And the reason people got offended is because it's the truth. But when we haven't yet seen the truth about ourselves and our behavior, but instead we're pushing out the responsibility, aka the blame on others, then when we're being told it's our fault and it's us who drives that behavior, we get offended. But I like that because when I offend you, it's not my intention, but it's the reaction that I'm seeking from certain people because when we're offended, we're forced to choose a camp. So This episode today is going to talk about food addiction in a way that not many of you have heard before. So I want to have that discussion. I want to hear your feedback. One of the things that I love about this community is that we have drama, we have controversy, but we remain polite because we are ladies that are loved base and loved oriented. So we're polite. So although I have controversy on social media, it's always polite controversy. And I thank you for that. Because I look at some of my friends that are online and the drama that they stir and the nasty comments they get. I am very blessed to have you. So thank you. Let's engage in a good conversation around food addiction. But before we dive right in, I want to call out something that I think is really important is my signature program, the Going to Beyond the Food Academy, is open for registration for the last time in 2018. And as of today, September 2nd, there is only five days left for yourself to enroll for the next semester, the fall 2018. So if you were interested, it's time or never. This is the signature flagship course of our programs, and it's the highest rated course, the highest satisfaction course I have ever done. 98% satisfaction with never had a complaint or a request for refund, never. So very proud to put that in front of you. If you wanted to join us, you've got five days left. If you want to hear From the graduate student about the Going to Beyond the Food Academy, I would refer you to just the most recent podcast, Podcast 152, where Jessica shared her story 
within the Going Beyond the Food Academy. So I would recommend that you go there. And to answer the question, yes, there will be a price increase in 2019. So the cost that you're seeing today, $6.97, will go up in 2019. So if you want to get in, get in now. Now, now on to addiction. So the first thing I want to say is this point of view on addiction, food addiction, comes from a place of research, having done research for myself, having taken courses, having studied the topic of addiction, but also from a place of having been there. The reason why I was driven to study, research, dig into addiction is because I have had many addiction in my life. Starting from the age of nine, as most of you know my story, I started with sugar and then moved on to drugs and then smoking cigarette, work addiction, codependency, like a whole bunch of stuff. So my own healing journey drove me to research and study the topic. So I hope this helps you understand that this background is multifaceted. So it's not a unique point of view. It's someone, it's coming from someone that is open-minded and have looked at different angle. Now here's how we're going to do this. This is a monster of an episode. So I have subdivided the section. So if you want to listen to it in chunks, number one, we're going to look at the broad concept of addiction, right? Which is essential for you to understand food addiction. So we're going to look at it very broad as to what is addiction. We're going to define it. We're going to explain what causes it, how it works in our brain. Then we're going to dive into the specificity of food addiction. Then we're going to look at solutions and I'm going to bring different colleagues point of view and resources for you to dig into when it comes to solution. You ready? Now, one last thing. This is one of the few episodes that I feel the need that to actually give you a medical disclaimer. Okay, so I think it's the second episode in the entire 153 episode that I do this, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of conversation around it. So here we go. This episode and this content is not a substitute for direct personal professional medical care and diagnosis. The information contained within is not intended to provide specific physical or mental health advice or any other advice whatsoever for any individual or company and should not be relied upon in that regard. Ready? Let's do this. What is addiction? In the broad spectrum, what is addiction? Addiction is the repeated involvement with a substance or an activity, despite the substantial arm it now causes, because of that involvement was pleasurable and or valuable. So there's two types of addiction. There's substance addiction, which most of us are familiar with, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, aka food addiction, but there's also now recognize activity addiction, aka gaming, sex, 
shopping, or any other activity or substance that you keep doing, even though it's causing harm. And that's the key thing. Addiction is when it's causing you, your environment, your body, harm. Now, what causes addiction? What creates someone to be addicted? Then this is a really cool thing. No matter which angle you look at addiction, which doctor, which piece of research, what philosophy you look at, everyone agrees on this. Addiction comes from either a family history of substance or activity abuse, a personal history of abuse, and early life trauma. These are the people that are most vulnerable to addiction. And I say cool because in that context, everyone recognized that a root cause to addiction is within our life experience, our emotion, our trauma, and our family history. Now, when we talk about family history, we talk about the broad concept of family history. Yes, we do refer to genetic, right? In the context that genetically, we may have the gene of addiction, often refer in the circle of alcoholism or alcohol addiction, in which we have the quote-unquote gene of addiction because our father, grandfather, or mother, grandmother was an alcoholic. Now, if you want to go down this path of genetic causal effect, you also have the responsibility to recognize the concept of epigenetic. What is epigenetic? Is the environmental influence on your gene. Explanation. Mean that you may have the gene of alcoholism, the behavior of alcoholism in your genetic pool coming from example, your father. However, your environment, how you are raised, family, food, exercise, health condition, all influence the development of that gene. Meaning that, example, you have five brothers and sisters, you all have the quote-unquote gene of alcoholism. That doesn't mean that every one of you will become an alcoholic. Why is that? It's because of the concept that we call epigenetic, the influence of your environment. I'm not going to go further than this. If this is a new concept to you, you may want to Google epigenetic, but know that having the gene of addiction does not mean that you will become an addict. Your choices, your environment will influence you developing the condition or not. Okay. Just like alcoholism, drug addiction, sex addiction, Very often, food addiction occurs with a mood disorder. Very often, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder 
example, are found in people that have a addiction. Food, drug is irrelevant. There is a strong link between a mood disorder and addiction. This is also why very often people that have an addiction have multiple addiction. Example, me, sugar, moved on to drugs, then went on to tobacco, then went on to work, codependency, food, like I just layered in the addiction or change one for another. That's often what we see as well in recovery is that people who will stop one addiction will pick up a new one. That, me as a nutritionist, totally threw me off when I began my practice seven years ago, is that I would remove from people's diet sugar, but then they would come back three weeks later and started to drink more, started to shop more, started to have mood disorder, and I couldn't understand where that came from. And I'll be explained a little bit later when we talk about how addiction happened and what the root cause of it is, but keep that in mind. Very often there's multi, multi-addiction in one person, okay? So now let's move on to how addiction works in the brain. Now I'm going to keep this very simplistic because that is my audience. So if you're listening to this and you're not a typical listener of the Going to Beyond the Food show and you're someone wanting some deep scientific explanation, neuroscience language around how the brain process addiction, this is not what we're going to do here. What I do, what I'm very good at is taking very complex scientific processes and explain them in a very simplistic manner. The reason why we do that here is because I want my listener to move into action to transform their life instead of being stuck in the rabbit hole of detail and science. And If you're listening to this and you recognize yourself, cool. I'm not going to feed that behavior here. So I'm going to talk about how addiction works in the brain and purposely keep it very simplistic so that the majority of my audience who's looking for a solution to food addiction can understand where it comes from and understand the processes, but move quickly to change and transform their current situation. So how does addiction works in the brain? Addiction is an addiction to pleasure. That's how it works. So when we have pleasure in our life, when we do things that are pleasurable, our brain, our chemistry in our body produce a neurotransmitter many of them, but one in great majority that is called dopamine. Dopamine is a signal for your body that you are in a situation of pleasure. And the human species is 
constructed, built, engineered to seek pleasure. When we look at why we evolve at a species, there's many reasons, but one of the predominant processes that made the human being very efficient at evolution is this concept of seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. This is how at the most primal level, you and I operate. We go through life seeking pleasurable experience, example, food, food is pleasurable. No matter what food you eat, when you consume food, you produce dopamine and your body is flooded with the sensation of pleasure so that you seek more food and you're constantly eating the food that gives you that pleasure. Example, poisonous food, right? Food that the human being shouldn't be eating. When we consume it, it tends to not taste good. When we eat it, we don't want it anymore, right? So we seek food that gives us pleasure. We avoid food that don't taste good. Just think of overdue milk, right? Doesn't taste good. We don't want to drink the whole bottle, right? So we look at sexual intercourse, right? It's an extremely pleasurable experience so that we seek more and we create more life and have more babies. That's how the human being is programmed. On the same token, we avoid everything that causes pain. Example of that, the feeling of stress, right? Stress is not pleasurable and we tend to want to avoid it. And this is strongly linked to addiction, right? When we feel stress, when we feel pain, we don't want to feel like that. So we have what we call coping mechanism. We cope with the pain by finding something to avoid it. In the first place, we try to avoid the situation that we know are going to cause us pain. But when it's not possible, then we feel the pain. We look for a coping mechanism to the feeling of pain. So to come back to your brain, when you do pleasurable activities that are good for us, you're flooded with dopamine. And that dopamine floods your brain. You feel good. You want more. That is the process of addiction. The substance, the activity in which you engage with floods your brain with dopamine. Based on the activity, based on the substance, the amount of dopamine can be greater. Example, opioids, drugs, stimulate a lot of dopamine, right? That's why you quickly become addicted to those quote-unquote hard drugs. Or take oxycotone, which is a medication for pain relieving, you quickly become addicted because of the pleasure, aka dopamine, release into your brain. Now, I said earlier that any food, consumption of food produced dopamine, the same thing happened in the case of food. Broccoli, 
will release a certain level of dopamine, but sugar will release a lot more. So you quickly start associating in your subconscious mind what gives you most dopamine, and that's how you become, quote unquote, addicted to the substance. The question is, are you addicted to the substance or are you addicted to the dopamine? This is why when we talked and explained the definition of addiction, I highlighted the fact that addiction can be to a substance or an activity, right? You can be addicted to anything that produces pleasure and dopamine, In the same way, some people will say, I'm addicted to dangerous sports. Some people are addicted to bungee jumping, right? For some of us, the simple mere fact of going to the edge of a mountain that have height fear is like, oh my God, I can never be addicted to bungee jumping because I'm afraid when I go there, it's painful for me. But for another one that looks for the high and is not afraid of the high could be addicted to bungee jumping because of the dopamine release that it does in that person's brain versus mine. So at the simplistic level, addiction is the release of dopamine in the brain and the sensation of pleasure. And we are programmed as a species to seek the dopamine, seek the pleasure and avoid the pain. Now, how does that turn in or how do we come about to be addicted to food? Because that's the topic at hand here. We're finally getting there after 22 minutes or some more time with the introduction of the podcast, but food addiction, well, in a very simplistic way, the brain is designed to seek food that release dopamine, which is all food and the food that are good for us as a human being, right? Broccoli versus a poisonous plant, for an example, right? So every time we eat broccoli, we get a rush of dopamine in the brain. Now, understand that our brain and our physiology as a human is pretty old, like going back thousands of years, and wasn't built to operate in the modern food environment. And let me explain this here. The modern food environment being the processed food, the highly palatable food that when consumed, release a lot more dopamine than the average, we'll call it real natural food. So remember that our brain wasn't built with that type of food around it when it evolved. Now, I want to bring in some science here, okay? So we're going to bring in an article from the Journal of Nutrition. So all the study and the research that I'm going to quote go forward is inside of our show note, stephaniedoze.com slash, I just want to make sure I'm getting the right episode number, one. 53. So I'm going to refer from now on to a bit of science. You can go and check it out there. 
But here's an extract of the Journal of Nutrition in regards to food addiction. Most of the evidence for or against food addiction in human focuses on the similarity between food craving and drug craving. There are numerous parallels in neuroanatomy, neurochemistry, and learning. Indeed, brain mechanism for craving probably evolved to promote seeking of natural reward and are taken over by drugs of abuse. Healthy, normal weight individual, by definition, do not suffer from food addiction. However, overweight and obese individual could meet clinical criteria. Palatable foods are not responsible for the obesity problem because even non-palatable food can come to be desired and potentially over-consumed. It may be the way in which food are consumed, alternating access and restriction, rather than the sensory property that lead to an addictive eating pattern. Kaboom. So if you're not clear, go back, rewind that last 30 seconds and go back and listen. But basically what is stated in the Journal of Nutrition here is the problem isn't the actual substance, but how we engage with the substance, which in this case is food. Because two reasons here, food that I consume made me gain weight. Now, that same food was consumed by, example, my brother when we were younger and I was doing a lot of sugar, cookie, and bake, and he wasn't gaining weight. I was, right? So that same substance in two different individuals produced two different results. It's the way in which I engage with the sugar, the way that I engage with cigarette, the way that I engage with drugs, the way that I engage with work that made me addicted, not the work, not the tobacco, not the alcohol. This is why, let's be really clear here, we'll take alcohol for an example. Most people drink alcohol and they aren't addicted to alcohol. This is the same reason why many people will engage with highly palatable food, highly sugary food, highly salty food, but aren't addicted. Meaning in this journal of nutrition state, they're healthy weight. Now, this is a whole other conundrum that we're not going to go into what cause obesity, is it the food, whatever, We're not going to go there. We're just staying with the fact of the research, but it's true, right? Normal weight individual will engage with the exact same food as overweight people, and they won't be addicted. Now, the journal continued to say this. Many of the clinical criteria for addiction, aka dependency, focus on the consequence of continued use 
or on the failure to discontinue use. If there are negative consequence of eating food and they are no failed attempt to discontinue eating large amount or certain type of food, then there is no diagnosis for addiction. This means that addiction to food could be addiction in overweight people, but not in regular weight people. It makes no sense. So what about highly palatable food? What do I mean by highly palatable food? And this is where many people currently in conversation on social media, magazine, blah, 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 point the finger to sugar. Sugar is the problem or highly snack type food that are very salty, highly processed food are called highly palatable food is a problem and should be eliminated. So let's look at the Pennsylvania State University Nutritional Science Department and their point of view in their article on that. Two of the reports, as well as our own work, suggest that even highly palatable food is not addictive in and of itself. Rather, it is the matter in which the food is presented and consumed that appears to entrain the addiction-like process. So here we go again. The problem is not the food, it's in the manner in which we engage with it. So the problem is how we engage with the food. Now, typical recommendation for addiction of any type is avoidance, right? So if you're addicted to alcohol, you avoid it. The problem with food is we cannot avoid food. We have to eat as a human species to live, right? So we go into this mode of restriction. So we'll restrict highly palatable food, sugary food, right? The problem with that, and it's again, science-based information, restriction, trigger, binge behavior. The main cause of binging is restriction. So the more you'll restrict highly palatable food, the more you will find a solution to your food addiction in restricting the food, the more you will crave and urge it to have it in a long-term period. And that is the problem with the current approach to AKA food addiction. And I keep saying AKA because the last two scientific article that I showed you and read for you didn't identify the possibility of food addiction right? It's the way into which we engage with it that creates the overeating, but it's not an addiction. That's why we have quote unquote normal eater people that engage with a lot of food and never become binger, overeater, or craver. What is the difference between the normal eater that can do nearly everything without craving more or wanting to binge and the other people that are designed or valued or diagnosed as food addiction people. You know what the difference is? The intention. 
right? Most of the binger, of the craver, of the emotional eater solution to their relationship to food, their engagement with food is by restricting. Their intention is fear. They have identified the problem of their addiction into the substance, the activity, and have now created a relationship of fear to the substance because they believe that the substance is the problem. The difference with the normal eater, they have no fear. They don't engage into fearing the food. They just use their relationship to food from a love-based perspective. They care for their body. They eat to fuel their body. They eat because they're physically hungry. And when they had enough, they end the meal, they push away the food, and that's it. They have a loving relationship with food. Their intention is love-based. It's respect-based for themselves and their body, where people that have binge, overeating, emotional eating, they have a relationship of fear. Now, this is where controversy began. <laughs> so if you're open and you're like, well, that's cool. I've never heard of this. Good for you. If it's triggering right now, all kinds of reactions, know that this is because you have likely some truth into that for you, but you're not ready to see it. Let's move on to solution, okay? So I'm going to bring in two mentors of mine, two doctors that have spent their whole career into the world of addiction into this discussion. The first one I want to bring in is a dear friend of mine and a colleague, Dr. Carolyn Ross, who's a specialist of food addiction, eating behavior, and I've had her on the podcast two times. So she was in podcast 54 and 94, always talking about how to stop binging and overeating. She wrote a great article, and it's called The Manifesto Recovery from Food Addiction. I've linked all of this into the show note, the article and the two podcasts. So I highly recommend that you go and read her material. But her opinion, her point of view and the way she treats her patient, Dr. Ross, is from a place of using food to regulate and numb our emotions. So we feel pain. We don't like pain. So we use food to numb out, to avoid the emotion of pain because food brings in pleasure and dopamine, right? So when we're in pain, we want to avoid it. So we know when we eat, we get flooded with dopamine and that makes us compensate for the emotion of pain. So her point of view and her treatment protocol is all based into managing our emotion with other coping mechanism than food, right? And then I'm going to bring in the work of Dr. Gabor Mate. Dr. Mate is a physician from Vancouver, Canada. And I discovered 
Dr. Gabor Maté way back in my early 30s when I lived in Vancouver. And Dr. Maté was a defender of the drug addict in the Lower East End of Vancouver. So the Lower East End of Vancouver is what we call the Skid Row. Now for the American people, Skid Row is the Canadian version of the ghetto. No offense taken to anyone, but the Skid Row is where the population of drug addict gets pushed in, into Vancouver. And it's one of the most prominent, back in those days, area with drug, prostitute, and crime population. So he spent his career in the Lower East End treating and dealing with drug addict. So what I'm going to read you here is an extract from one of his books that I highly recommend that you read. It's called The Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Here we go. Dr. Mate suggests that one of the main reasons that we struggle to overcome addiction is because we do not understand them. Addictive behavior are attempt to solve a deeper feeling, so trying to squash the behavior does not actually address the problem. If you found a feeling of comfort in cigarette, for an example, then addiction wasn't your primary problem. The addiction was trying to solve the problem. Your problem is a discomfort with life or with yourself. And he continued to say, addiction is a secondary problem that comes out of a primary problem. So when we put all the emphasis on the secondary problem, but we don't pay attention to the primary one, then how can we possibly be succeeded? Most physicians are not going to understand that, and we physicians aren't trained that way. Even the 12-step group sees addiction as a problem. But the real question is, if you are in an addiction then something happened in your life, and I can guarantee it, it happened in your childhood, which made you intensely uncomfortable with yourself and with the present moment. So you try to escape that temporarily in an attempt to change the chemistry of your brain to suit yourself temporarily through nicotine, food, alcohol, etc., etc. So the nicotine or the substance of choice was your attempt to solve a problem. It wasn't the fundamental problem. I hope that makes sense to you. So basically what Gabor Mate is saying is that we use substance or activity to avoid the pain of being with ourselves, being with our experiences of life. The challenge has Dr. Gabor Mate has experienced his own career and inform us in his book, and we know that generally is that doctor aren't trained to see addiction in this matter. So the conventional approach to Any addiction from a traditional medical perspective is avoidance, numbing medication. It is not looking 
to actually understand why the addictive person seeks the food, the alcohol, or the drug. Now, as you probably, most of you are with me and saying, oh my God, then we're never going to solve addiction. Oh, oh, there is a solution and it's called the functional approach. So a functional approach to the problem of addiction will temporarily help manage the symptoms, right? So we will temporarily try to avoid the substance while, and this is very important here, while looking at identifying the root cause and healing the root cause. And the functional approach is applicable to any condition that it is heart condition, autoimmune condition, addiction, no matter what the symptom, whatever the external condition is, when we take a functional approach, we look at understanding why we're sick inside, within our emotional, spiritual, physical, mental body, and heal that cause. That is an approach that is based out of love, the functional approach, instead of fear of the substance and creating the environment of restriction, which we know triggers the craving and the urge. So the solution to addiction is love-based. It's about understanding why we crave it. Can we be addicted to food? Well, science is not clear, right? Yes and no are both places where we stand right now, but what we know is we cannot avoid food. And we know that if we set restriction on certain food, we're going to end up craving it and urge and binging and overeating. So, Coming back to what I view as the solution is love-based. And that's what the going, the beyond the food method is anchored on. It's anchored on love. It's anchored on finding the root cause. It's about taking back our freaking power. Every time, and this is, I'm going to get really passionate here, Every time we point the finger to something outside of us, we lose our power. We give the power to the behavior, the substance, the activity, and then we feel disempowered. We victimize ourselves. And this is going to be hard to hear for many of you, and I get it. But the victimization of ourselves will not lead to sustainable transformation. Sustainable transformation, no matter what transformation you need to achieve, always has to come from a place of love. Fear is not the answer. So they're going to be on the food method. My program, my approach are all based on love. They're all based on empowering you by finding the solution within you and removing victimization. So here's quickly the four steps of the going to be on the food method. Number one is awareness. 
awareness that the issue with your quote unquote food addiction is not the food. It's the emotion you're trying to avoid or numb. And here's the trick. 50% of the solution is done by simply being aware of the truth. Step number two is acceptance. Accepting that the emotional issue is the cause, not the food. Now, this is something that I learned from taking a course with Irene Lyon, and she always states that healing begins with knowledge. Knowledge of what the truth is, knowledge of how your body works, knowledge of how addiction works. So let me repeat. Step number one is awareness. Step number two is acceptance. Step number three is taking responsibility. Taking responsibility once you've accepted and being aware that your emotions were at the root, taking responsibility to find solutions that are in alignment with that. Find a course, find a book, find a process that is going to change the way in which you approach the problem. Einstein has a great quote on that. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results, aka dieting cycle, right? We keep dieting, losing weight, gaining weight, and we keep redoing it, thinking that that's going to be the solution when the last 10 times it didn't work. So taking responsibility is finding a different approach. Simple. Four, step number four, if they're going to be on the food method, is action. You got to do the work, right? When we take responsibility... When we don't point the fingers to something outside of us and we look within for the answer, that means that we need to do the work. So all of our programs are experiential programs because of that, because we need to do the work. There's no pill, there's no quick fix that are going to get us out of our quote-unquote problem. So four steps. Awareness, acceptance, taking responsibility, and action. So how can we help you? Very quickly, we have two main programs, Claim Your Food Freedom and the Going Beyond the Food Academy. These are all designed to help people who have been told they're addicted to food, aka emotional eater, binge eater, overeater, diet, or yo-yo dieting people, women, because we only serve women. Claim Your Food Freedom is the introductionary program. It's where we teach you the fundamental of how pleasure works in the brain. We teach you a way to recognize your pattern and to start identifying the emotion behind the behavior. We take a mindfulness approach to healing. So it's the introduction, the fundamental, it's 21 days, and we teach you to re-engage with your emotion in a different manner. The Going to be on the Food Academy is like the next step up. The Going to be on the Food Academy, we do everything that we just stated in Claim Your Food Freedom, but then we go to the next level. We go to identifying the root cause, the past emotional experience, the core belief. And then we teach you tool to rewire 
your mind, your subconscious mind and change your core belief. And then we teach you how to re-engage with food from a perspective of empowerment. We call it your internal nutritionist, aka normal eater. So it's the next level up. So if you're looking for a solution, you are, I'll repeat, aware and accepted that you're not really addicted to food. It's the way in which you cope with your emotion and you're willing ready to take responsibility, these can be two solutions for you, among other things, right? There's many other programs out there in books you can read. So there you have it, ladies. That was a monster of an episode. And I thank you for staying with me. If you want any of the reference on the study, the article, go to the show note on my website or in your listening device. Thank you for being here till the end. And we have a great show coming up next. How body image impacts your eating behavior. And that's going to be not as controversial, but I think it's going to shake up many of you. Because for many of us, we think that shaming, fearing our body will get us greater results. But guess what? Now that you understand an addiction, guess what? Is fear the answer? Is shaming the answer? I'll leave it at that. And then you can be back with us on the next episode. I love you. I look forward to hang out with you on the next episode. Bye. I have created an audio training entitled How to Change Any Eating Habit, specifically the one that is sabotaging you three strategies to create the consistency and confidence you need to change your eating habit without willpower or discipline. I did this in order to help women like yourself engage with food in a completely different perspective so that they stop craving, overeating, binging, and using food to feel better. You can put an end to the cycle of frustration, the all-or-nothing mindset, and shame towards your own body and become a motivated, consistent, focused, and self-loving version of yourself. This free audio training is about the why we eat, how we eat, so that the what we eat can be easy, effortless, and pleasurable. So if you are ready to step into the new version of yourself so that you can change how you interact with food, head over to stephaniedodzie.com slash training right now.